1810 podcast, episode 57. And if you're saying that you know truth, if you're saying that you know what is truth, then you've got to have something to actually measure that against. Proverbs 1810 podcast. 25 feet, a thousand layers. How many millions of years did that take to form them? The answer is it took three hours. Proverbs 1810 podcast. This is the Proverbs 1810 podcast presented by me, Paul Taylor, in association with Proverbs 1810 Media. For all information about the podcast, including where to find the RSS feeds to put into your favorite podcasting software, please visit proverbs1810.org. Enjoy the show. Again, this is the Proverbs 1810 podcast. This is episode 57, and uh, at the moment, as I'm recording uh, this uh, set of introductions for the program, it is Tuesday, May the 24th, 2022. You're very welcome to join me. I've been uh, recording bits and pieces for this program over the last seven days, actually, so you'll hear some different dates being mentioned, but. Um, uh, it's time for me to sew all that together now. Uh, my name is Paul Taylor and you can find information about this podcast and the various other things that I do at proverbs1810.org. That's the website address for Proverbs 1810 Media. That's proverbs1810.org. And we've got a packed program as usual. I want to be talking today about uh, the Ukraine situation. Uh, there's more to say on that situation and the various uh, political ramifications of uh, foreign policy. Um, it will be important to say uh, a little bit, I think, about uh, uh, the third sign of the second coming of Jesus. I want to get into that today, so returning to look at uh, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24. And we will also be having a look at this new um, pandemic. Sorry, did I say pandemic? Perhaps I meant pandemic of monkeypox that seems to be threatening us at the moment. So we'll talk a little bit about that too. At the end of the programme, uh, for those of you who are watching this on video, um, well, even if you're listening to it on radio, there will be um, a, a little bit of a light entertainment because I, I went on a hike to see the Snow Creek Falls about a week ago and I'm going to include that film that I made uh, um, uh, on that particular hike. Now if you're listening to this just on audio some of that last 15 minutes then will be there'll be little bits of silences because it's very much a video uh, oriented walk but I'm going to include it anyway uh, you'll just have to skip through the silences use the advanced 30 second button and uh, just get through the uh, little bit of silences where I'm uh, I'm just walking without um, anything being commented on. Okay, so with that in mind, I think that will be a useful thing to put on at the end of the programme. Okay, now let's start then with talking about uh, foreign policy, uh, the Ukraine situation, and commenting on a few other things to do with NATO and to do with uh, uh, the news as it's um, 
pertains to Eastern Europe. And I was talking through that issue while uh, driving to work one day from where I live uh, to uh, Sandpoint, Idaho. So here's that particular comment. Hi there. It's a beautiful day as I'm uh, driving to Sandpoint. But it gives me the opportunity just to make a few reflections on things that are going on in the world today. And how are you going to find out how what things are going on in the world today? You're not going to get the answer from mainstream media. Think about the various uh, um, newsworthy events going on at the moment and you listen to the or watch the the mainstream TV news networks you know NBC ABC CBS uh, CNN even Fox News certainly the BBC in Britain um, what are you finding out what you need to remember is we know that they have been lying to us over, for the last two years over the issues to do with COVID. Now, COVID still sometimes in the news, but not a lot. Um, not as much as it was. And um, other events have uh, taken precedence, particularly um, the war in Ukraine. And a few other things around the world too. Some of the things uh, uh, perhaps are conspicuous by their absence. I've talked to you before about uh, Yemen. There's a lot more to find out about Yemen and I promised you I was going to find out more about Yemen. But uh, it's interesting that uh, Yemen is just not talked about in mainstream media. Uh, and that would make it seem that it's got to be important because the tragedy going on in Yemen is far more devastating than what you see on the news in Ukraine. And you can see the reason because Ukraine has become a country which is strongly allied to the West. And uh, so we've, uh, we've, we've analyzed this before, but it's important to uh, look at where you're getting your news from. Now, I have a number of news sources that I turn to. Um, there's the uh, Cross-Politic Programme, for example, from the Fight La Feast Network. Uh, I'll often start with them, and uh, they do a great job. They don't, they're not able to cover everything, but they do a great job. And one of the things that's very important about what they do is that they address things from a Christian perspective. Some people would worry, well, you know, their theology is not quite the same as um, mine. Well, yeah, it isn't, but I listen to a lot of other people's theology is not quite the same as mine. I'm not a post-millennial. I've said that before. Sometimes people say, well, are you a theonomist? And I suppose it's the connotations of the word that I don't like, the, the, the way that people have spun the word. But what the word actually means is the law of God. And if I am going to have an opinion on the way that things happen legally and uh, in the world of the law, in the world of politics, 
and related areas, surely my starting point has to be the Lord God. Uh, I have to be informed by what I read from the Bible. You might say, well, theonomists have it all wrong. Well, maybe some of them do. And maybe, you know, you haven't read it uh, carefully enough what they've said and maybe some of what they got is right but it doesn't alter the fact that the principle is correct the principle is surely correct the principle being that um, whatever views we take on politics and on current affairs has to be governed by the law of God and that includes our reactions to the various overseas crises that aren't mentioned like Yemen like what's going on in Syria at the moment and uh, what's, what we are hearing a lot about from Ukraine, they have to be analysed against what's said in God's Word. Okay, now I've talked about Ukraine a few times. I do need to address something that I've looked at obliquely but I've found out more um, information on. Oh, and by the way, I'm sorry, let, before I get to that, let me just backtrack a bit because I was telling you, I was trying to tell you about uh, uh, news sources and I went off on a bit of a bunny trail when I mentioned uh, my friends at the Cross Politic program. Okay, and they are my friends, very dear friends. Uh, but let me uh, tell you about what uh, uh, some other places are. If you're going to find out anything about UK news, you need to watch the UK column program. Now, they don't seem to have a nice, easy RSS feed that I can capture, and they're mainly a TV program, so they've had, they've had to diversify to make sure that their video presentations are on a number of different platforms so that you can get them. So, um, what I tell you today might not be true tomorrow, and I know that they have put their stuff out on YouTube quite a lot. Uh, you cannot really rely on conservative information being on YouTube much. It gets censored very quickly. So I watch them on Rumble. I found their, um, uh, their channel on Rumble. You can search for them, search for UK Column, uh, find their channel, and I've saved that. So that is where I find them, which is convenient because my own stuff I put out on Rumble. If you're watching this, it's likely that you are, uh, you are watching it through Rumble. Maybe there'll be other places for it, but it is very likely that you're getting into rubble. So get UK column news for sensible comments about what goes on in Britain. I've often told you you need uh, James Dellingpole's podcast, The Delling Pod. You need to listen to the interviews that he has. He had a very important interview um, this last week with um, a guy who was uh, formerly a Swiss Secret Service agent and very eye-opening information about uh, NATO's attitude towards uh, Eastern Europe and in particular Ukraine and Russia. Very important uh, uh, interview. You need to get hold of that. Other world things. Uh, I try and find what I can. Um, I do try and catch some of the programs on Blaze TV. I don't like all of them. I do like to uh, follow Steve Dace's program. Um, two hours a day, I cannot possibly scratch the surface of that. I do not listen to him daily. And it's not that it isn't good. I'm sure I've missed a lot of very good stuff through this, but I, I just can't uh, sort of find the time to uh, make a date if you like to uh, uh, watch that two hours every day. Um, but it is good. 
you know, and it is uh, it is worth uh, catching up on things on there on Blaze TV. Uh, I do occasionally watch some of Glenn Beck's programs, uh, the same reason, but uh, um, Steve Dace is the man as far as I'm concerned on that network. Uh, and uh, well, there are other ones that come up every so often that I that I do follow. Some of the Libertarians. Uh, I don't fully take a libertarian view, more of a constitutional type person really, but some of the libertarians speak some good sense, especially those who are prepared to think through and comment on constitutional and historical issues. Some of those are very good. Um, so you've got to get hold of the, the news from sensible sources. There are other places to look. Uh, you've got to get hold of the news from sensible sources like those. Right, I was beginning to start to talk about Ukraine, and I do want to uh, just mention something that I, I've touched on in the past. We've touched on stuff to do with the Azov people, the Azov Brigade, and we've discussed them. They clearly, um, their views are, well, they're very much descended from um, the Nazis, I know that there's people who say as soon as you start to introduce the Nazis or Hitler or anything like that, you've lost the arguments immediately. But sometimes, you know, what we have to say is true and you need to look at what they say. And, you know, even mainstream media will often acknowledge that these people are unpleasant people, that they are Nazis, that they use Nazi insignia, they have Nazi views. Um, sometimes even the mainstream media will acknowledge that. Here's the thing, though. What the, the mainstream media encourage you to say is the sort of thing that people often say in these sort of situations. They say, oh yeah, but it's only a tiny minority and you know, every cause you get people alongside who are not pleasant. And that of course is true. Uh, at least a bit about uh, there being people alongside every argument who are not pleasant. That is true, okay? But what about them being a tiny minority? Are they really a tiny minority? Well, there's certainly probably a tiny minority of Ukrainian people. And remember, I've emphasized many, many times that the people in this whole crisis who are suffering are Ukrainian people. So, you know, often there's people who criticize me and say, well, you're not pro-Ukraine, you're pro-Russian. Not a bit of it. In fact, I'm very much pro-Ukrainian in terms of the Ukrainian people. What I'm not pro is the Ukrainian government's position. I'm not pro the Russian government's position, by the way. Using military force to make an argument is never a good idea, though you should address that same issue uh, towards what the United States and Britain did in Iraq and Afghanistan, for example. Um, brings a whole new element to um, Kamala Harris's um, comments uh, uh, absolutely unbelievably ridiculous comments uh, trying to analyse the Ukrainian war. Russia is a big country and Ukraine is a small country and uh, they've been invaded by a big country. Um, you know, that sort of play school politics. But what about... Um, uh, what about uh, discussing that in relation to what... Uh, the United States and Britain did regarding Iraq or regarding Afghanistan. Think about that. Um, the United States is a big country. The UK may not be a very big country, but it's certainly a militarily powerful country. Iraq's a small country, <laughs> bigger in area than Britain, but uh, 
less militarily sophisticated. You know, try using that sort of comment. But that's, again, perhaps by the by. Let's just address this issue about um, the Ukrainian Nazis being a very small minority. They're a small minority of the people, but they have a big influence in government and particularly in the military. Do they really? You might want to argue they only have a small amount in the uh, Ukraine military. Well, do you know what the figure, their figures are in the Ukrainian military? The interview with, um, I can't remember his name, the uh, former Swiss intelligence chief uh, guy, uh, the interview with him uh, that the James Dellingpole did was very telling. He pointed out that uh, the soldiers, um, the, mili the military people belonging to the Azov people, uh, the Azov Brigade is um, about a hundred thousand people. A hundred thousand. To put that in perspective, it is just less than half the total size of the Ukrainian military. Okay, just less than 50% of the Ukrainian military are Nazis. Now, that, does that put into perspective, then, the views of the Russians that they need to denazify Ukraine? It certainly does. It certainly does. And you start to wonder why it is, then, that a militia which is dominated to such a great degree by people of a Nazi persuasion are... Um, uh, being funded by Western powers, being given weapons by Western powers. But then you realise that in Syria, which nobody is talking about now, and everybody in the West has assumed that uh, President Assad is a bad man, bad man, a really gentle doctor-type person in his former career in London as an ophthalmologist, but suddenly became Hitler incarnate when he returned to Syria, according to the mainstream media. Um, he's supposed to be the bad guy. So who are the rebels that are fighting him that are being uh, um, armed and supported by Western powers? And it turns out it's ISIS and its elements that would have formerly been called Al-Qaeda. Do you remember them? They're the people who are supposedly brought down the, uh, the towers in New York. World Trade Center. You remember them? They're the people who are being funded right now in Syria, over 20 years after that terrorist incident in New York. And that's another bunny trail for another time. Bearing in mind, I now reckon that pretty much all that we've been told about such things on the mainstream media is a lie. But whether, uh, it's certainly the case that Al-Qaeda and ISIS are not nice, gentle, cuddly people. They're the people who are being funded to oppose the Syrian government in Syria. <laughs> it reminds me of a <laughs> jocular comment on uh, Doctor Who when Tom Baker was Doctor Who. And uh, he's in discussion with the master, who was his arch nemesis a renegade uh, evil time lord and uh, the master introduces somebody else to uh, the doctor the doctor says nice to, nice to meet you any friend of the master's is an enemy of mine <laughs> and 
maybe that's the sort of uh, level that Western um, uh, foreign policy is conducted at. Any enemy of President Assad must be a friend of ours. And that's not the way it works. That is not the way it works, as you know. Um, I noticed that the New American magazine was uh, carrying an article in, this, in its latest issue uh, about the Ukraine crisis and saying, is this actually a war between two... Um, what do they call them? Two villains. I say, is this a war between two villains? And I think the answer to that is yes. I think Putin has been wrong in what he's done. But I think he's been right to see a threat. He's been right to see the gradual encroachment of Eastern Europe by NATO in a way that was promised that wouldn't happen. And, you know, you've got to look at things geopolitically, look at the situation where, where Syria actually is. If Syria had been taken over by pro-Western by pro government, what would you have there? You've already got a supposedly pro-Western government in uh, Iraq, although it's very unstable. But stabi bringing stability to Iraq was never the, uh, uh, the plan anyway of the Western powers. Rather, bringing instability was more important so that military bases could be kept there. That even if the bulk of the troops are now out of there, the bases are there and can be occupied again very, very quickly indeed uh, as a means, therefore, of targeting Russia. You've got to look at the map and see how close they are to Russia and places of Russian influence. So that's how you've got to look at things. You've got to see that what the mainstream media are telling you is not true. The implication that the Nazis in Ukraine do not have a lot of power is not true, given that they are nearly 50% of the military. That must have a considerable influence, especially if you consider that maybe many of the others, uh, many of the others in the military, uh, have sympathies, not expressed by membership, but have sympathies um, that are just not coming out, that are just not being uh, related. So these are things that we have to look at, and that we have to be cognizant of, that we have to understand in order to understand the entire situation that is going on in, uh, in Eastern Europe. Okay, so bit of a downer I guess but it's important to look at these things it's important to think through these things and it's important to talk them out loud and to say them out loud so there we go that's my um, thoughts on uh, the current situations and we do need to return to this again because I've got to do more information more digging into what's going on in Yemen because I have to think that it is very very significant far more significant than we're led to believe and the very fact that it's not even being talked about on mainstream media has to be of great relevance indeed so let's return to that subject pretty soon as well okay change of gears change of subject now I think it's time we had a, uh, another look at Matthew's gospel chapter to 24 go through some of the information in there and so I will, I've been talking to you about the information from Matthew's Gospel chapter 24 about the four signs of the second coming uh, that must happen before Jesus returns okay they, they must happen before Jesus returns there are four specific signs uh, the first two I've talked about already in these podcasts. Uh, the first one being signs in the earth, earthquakes, wars, rumours of wars and so on. Uh, they have already been happening and they're happening at a greater pace. Second sign is signs in the church, particularly to do with apostasy. 
the amount of apostasy that's around at the moment is so great that you might think that's the end of all things. Well, I think there's probably more apostasy to come. This is a sign that is partially fulfilled, but I think there's greater fulfillment of this to come yet. So that's the second sign before Jesus returns. The third sign we'll look at in a minute is signs in the Middle East, what's known as the abomination of desolation, the Antichrist appearing. And um, the fourth sign is signs in the sky, the sun, moon and stars. Now in Matthew's got Matthew 24, we're being told there that these four signs that uh, Jesus describes uh, in this uh, famous Olivet Discourse, those four signs have to happen before Jesus returns, which immediately gets some people talking, saying, well, are you talking about his uh, second coming before uh, he brings in the Millennium Kingdom, or are you talking about the rapture? Now, it's important that I go through that, but I'm going to do that on another occasion, okay? To, just as a spoiler, I think it's pretty clear, as far as I'm concerned, that the rapture and the... Uh, glorious appearing of Jesus uh, shortly before, just immediately before the Millennium Kingdom, the Millennium Reign, are actually just two stages in the same event happening at the same time. One thing happening immediately after the other, so in that sense they're not the same event, but they are at the same period of time, the same day. And I know that freaks many of you out, you don't like it, but please bear with me, I'll come back to it on another one because uh, that would be a bunny trail if I started pursuing that one today. I want to make clear at the moment that uh, uh, to talk about the third sign and what's important about that third sign. But I have, and on, on a previous podcast, the podcast I used to call What Next, I did go through information with you to show you that uh, the information in Matthew 24 and the events being described there are exactly the same as the events being talked about in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5. And it, you have to note that they are the same because that's the way that we understand that uh, the event known as the rapture, uh, which is uh, mentioned in 1 Thessalonians 4, has to happen at the end of all the period of great trouble that Jesus is describing in uh, Matthew 24. Okay, let's look into this in a little bit more detail then now. So what we'll do is, we, is we'll pick up um, what Scripture says at this point. Uh, so I need to go into Scripture and I want to, I'm uh, just going to bring the Bible up here and go to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24. Okay. Matthew's Gospel chapter 24. I just actually made a mistake in what button I was pressing then, so I better do it again. Um, you've still got my face in front of you at the moment. I will um, bring up um, Matthew's Gospel ch chapter 24. It's been particular. It's verse 15 that I want to tell you about, so I think I've got the right place now. There we go. Let's bring up that particular. There we go. There it is on the screen. Okay. Let's um, read through this section together. This is the third sign. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. 
and let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. Pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath, for then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But the sake of elect, the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then, if anyone says to you, "Look, here is the Christ," or "There he is," do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Well, there's quite a lot to go through there, and I probably won't be able to do a full exposition of this, and I think probably we'll have to have a second section on um, this particular passage. First of all, you see, I'm going to have to skip from um, Matthew 24 to the prophecy of Daniel. Here's the thing. Jesus is saying, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, so it's, this is something that's going to happen in the future. When you see the abomination of desolation, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Okay. This is something that's happening in the future, Jesus is telling us. Now let's therefore go and have a look at uh, Daniel. And uh, Daniel uh, was praying, it says, in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent of Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. Okay, so he gets this vision that really terrifies him and he needs to know what it's about. So eventually uh, the angel Gabriel is sent to him uh, to explain to him what it's about. And here's what uh, the angel Gabriel says. He says, 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity. Now those 70 weeks, we are assumed by various other things mentioned in this particular chapter, that that is actually weeks of years. So a week here is not seven days, it's seven years. We have 70 weeks of years. 70 times 7 is 490. Okay, now that's the 70 weeks. Okay. What have we got from going on from there? Because it's important to understand these things. Jesus himself was saying, let the reader understand. Okay. Well, he talks about first seven weeks, which must be 49 years. And then he talks about 62 weeks, which is 62 times seven. So you've got a total there of 69 weeks. 69 weeks. We said that 70 weeks would be 490. So 69 weeks would be 483 years. 
Now, after that period of 483 years, it says that uh, there's a coming of an anointed one. Anointed one. He is a prince, a ruler. Some versions of the Bible say the anointed one, the prince. It's difficult to know whether there should be an indefinite article there or not. But it is nevertheless referring to one person. The anointed one is cut off and shall have nothing after the end of the 62 weeks, which is therefore after 69 weeks from the point of this prophecy, which is said is 483 years. Now, I would say that 483 years must be an exact time. But even if you've only got an approximate date for the prophecy of Daniel, you can see that 483 years, 48 decades after that, very nearly five centuries, would bring you to the death of Jesus Christ. That's what's being talked about here. So if we assume then that these numbers are correct, after all this is the inspired word of God, then Daniel is predicting the exact date, the exact year of the death of Jesus Christ. How do I know it's Jesus Christ that's being talked about here? Because of the phrase anointed one. Because the Hebrew for anointed one there is, um, let's, let's bring it up actually, let me bring up the window so that you can see it, okay? Um, the Hebrew word being used there, and now I've gone and lost the actual, uh, um, I beg your pardon about this, I've just lost the actual uh, uh, verse, it's verse 26 isn't it, there we go. The Hebrew word uh, which you can see there, that's the Hebrew lettering, um, the best transliteration into the Latin alphabet is Messiah. Messiah. Messiah means anointed one. And by the way, the Greek word that means anointed one is Christ. Those two words are the same. So this is very important here. We're talking then about the death of Christ. That's, uh, that's who is being referred to at this particular point. And it's very, very important indeed that we understand these points. So, it also then says that there's going to be another prince. There's someone called the prince. The people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end will come with a flood. And to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. He'll make a strong covenant with many for one week. One week is seven years. Now some people say this is referring to the tribulation. It isn't. It includes the tribulation, but it's not just referring to the tribulation. It's saying there's going to be a covenant. It's probable in today's terms that this is a peace treaty. A peace treaty with the uh, prince of the people who is to come the prince who's to come, and uh, the many being uh, God's uh, historic people, Israel. Probably in terms, I mean, it would include uh, everyone else in the world as well who'd be on this same side. And we'll look at other passages of scripture that talk about the, the battle lines being drawn. And someone is coming along who is masquerading as a man of peace. And that man of peace will make this um, covenant and it's going to last for seven years. 
Now, there are other places that suggest, uh, both in Daniel and elsewhere, that suggest that the time of tribulation is going to be three and a half years. This would suggest, then, that this peace treaty between uh, this prince who is to come and, the, uh, and uh, Israel would be three and a half years before the tribulation, so that you've got a total of seven there. So it's going to be some sort of treaty. Um, and here's, here's the important thing, is saying that they'll be on the, this at the end of this period of, of a week, uh, you know, at, the, at the halfway point when the tribulation comes, we've got the abomination of desolation. That's what's referred to here. The wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Okay. So we're talking about the abomination of desolation. Let's just switch to another version here and you'll see that in the King James Version how this is being uh, um, uh, emphasized. You've got abomination and you've got desolation. The abomination of desolation. Now, so switch back to the ESV at that point. Uh, people who say, well, Daniel's prophecy must be referring here to the coming of uh, uh, Antiochus Epiphanes. Epif oh, I can't remember his full name. Antiochus Epiphanes, Epiphanes, something like that. Okay, uh, a Greek emperor, basically, who. Um, desecrated the temple and it's true that this prophecy this is a double prophecy like so many prophecies are it's looking at one period ahead of time and then another period even further ahead of that so it does um antiochus is very much um a type of the antichrist um uh, as there are a number of other people. Hitler was a type of the Antichrist too. And it doesn't make, it, it's not surprising because after all, the devil does not know when Jesus is going to return. He's not been let in on that particular secret. Therefore, we can assume that Satan has to have his man present on the earth at every period of history. So he's always got someone who he's bringing up to be uh, the Antichrist. There are many evil historical figures there for who could have been the Antichrist many of them uh, they weren't but Antiochus would have been one who could have been the Antichrist and he did desecrate the temple by sacrificing a pig in the temple and bringing an end therefore to sacrifice but there must be someone else and by the way that would also suggest then that there must be a renewed temple and there must be sacrifices again uh, these are not sacrifices that will help uh, Christians in any way but it must be that in Israel uh, a temple gets set up so there are no good guys there. The setting of, a, of, a, of a, the temple again to produce sacrifices again when Jesus has already performed the final sacrifice is therefore something that is uh, blasphemous and it's contrary to, you know, it's against, uh, it's being against Jesus the Messiah. But here's the thing. Jesus said that this abomination of desolation is in the future. So the prophecy of Daniel cannot simply be referring to... Um, Antiochus it's got to be looking further than that and Jesus is saying it's something that's going to happen in the future and it's basically going to happen when uh, he returns okay now let's get back to Matthew 24 so that we can see that again at the time of Antiochus people who were in Judea did not flee to the mountains that was not something that happened largely but it will need to happen at the time when the Antichrist comes and um, 
we're, we're given all sorts of warnings there that the people who aren't on the housetop go, don't go down and get what's in the house uh, the one who's in the field not turn back it's going to be terrible for people who are pregnant because they've got to flee uh, while pregnant and nursing babies uh, so we've got to pray that that will happen when the weather is good pray that it won't happen on a sabbath now why should that be significant for most of christian history that wouldn't have mattered because it, uh, uh, the whole land was an occupied land and was therefore not following sabbaths so you can see here that verse 20 indicates that there has to be a nation of israel again because uh, pretty much everything is quiet on the sabbath day in israel these days and you can imagine if you were trying to escape by any means of public transport or uh, being on the roads or whatever you would have great difficulty if that were to happen on a saturday on the uh, jewish sabbath and then jesus is saying at that point there's going to be great tribulations such as there's not been from the beginning of the world until now now that has to be and it says no and never will be so there are many people who say well this is not the tribulation that's being referred to uh this is not the um uh, the, the, the tribulation mentioned in Revelation and so on uh, that Jesus is talking about it can't be because he hasn't referred to the rapture well it must be because Jesus is making clear that this is the worst trouble that there will ever have been the worst trouble that there will ever have been which means that uh, this is um, the actual tribulation preceding uh, the glorious appearing of Jesus uh, it means therefore that any rapture any being taken up to be with Jesus must happen at the end of this period and it means that the elect will be still on earth during those days uh, we're told that uh, that the days will be cut short because of the elect for the sake of the elect and that the false Christs that is false messiahs and false prophets who will arise and who will be performing signs and wonders they could as lead astray if possible even the elect suggesting in fact that many of those false Christs and false prophets will arrive not in cults but in places that we have hitherto assumed were parts of the genuine church of jesus christ jesus is reminding us that he's told us that beforehand uh, and um, he's talking about how people are going to say you know there's there's some new messiah around uh, he's in the wilderness he's in the inner rooms all sorts of things like that uh, and we need to examine that uh, a little bit more closely. We'll probably do that next time we come to this particular uh, particular passage and try and put some flesh on the bones of that particular uh, prophecy that Jesus is given, giving. But what's important to understand there is that this Antichrist, this abomination of desolation, this uh, prince of the people to come, um, he is someone in the future and he is someone who we as christians will experience will see that he's there um, that's why we should perhaps uh, take note of what um, uh, the apostle john said and i've got to make sure that i get the uh, the correct uh, passage um, You know uh, the apostle john talked about uh, antichrist and antichrists uh let's just uh, check on that particular passage so that we can find uh, find it uh spring up a um a search box and we're just going to search in the uh, 
general letters so that we can find this uh, particular passage. Okay, it is chapter 2. So let's just bring that open in the window. Okay. John says, children, it's the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, let's just pause there a minute. There is a singular Antichrist, one person. He's coming. But we also know that many Antichrists have come. Some had even come by the time that John was writing this letter. And remember that some of them, it says, they went out from us, which is uh, echoing the words of Jesus here. We're suggesting then that some of those false prophets, false messiahs, are from the actual established church, not from cults. They went out from us, they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they, are, that they all are not of us. So that's what the Apostle John is saying about both Antichrist, singular, and Antichrists, plural. And it's those things that we need to look at, which is why next time uh, we need to examine a little bit more about this third sign, which is so very, very significant indeed for us to look at and for us to talk about. Well, I think that's probably enough to say about uh, the third sign of the um, second coming of Jesus. Let's do a little bit more next time I come back to Matthew 24 on the third sign before we pass on to the fourth sign of uh, the second coming. So we'll skip around a few other passages of scripture and tie them to Matthew 24 next time. Okay, so before we move on... Um, I have uh, in the news there's been quite a bit about um, monkeypox lately, the latest um, disease that's supposedly going to uh, strike the world. So one day being outside I did a bit of a report uh, on my thoughts and my research, uh, minimal at the moment, on the subject of monkeypox. So here are those thoughts uh, for you to listen to right now. Now it's uh, May the 24th, 2022, as I record this, and I was listening to, uh, this morning I was listening to yesterday's uh, episode of the Steve Dace show. That was the May 23rd episode, at least that's the date that the podcast was released. I got a feeling it, the actual uh, live broadcast might have been the day before. But anyway, it's a recent episode of the Steve Dace show, and I love the way that he started uh, his show. Uh, this is basically, I'll try and summarise um, what he said, I can't remember it word for word, but he, he said something about uh, he hadn't been prepared for the monkeypox season. Uh, he said uh, he still had his decorations up for the Ukraine season and uh, the monkeypox season took him by surprise. He hasn't got the right decorations for it. Uh, I thought that was a great comment because it was a sarcastic comment and it really sums up what I think. So monkeypox is in the news. What's monkeypox? Well, monkeypox is a disease. It is a genuine disease. Excuse me a minute. I realise I've left my coffee cup on the other side of the table. I can't do this video without a coffee. Yeah, monkeypox is a disease that was discovered in the mid-1950s in a, a, a laboratory in Denmark where they were investigating, uh, they were doing some various experiments on monkeys, probably the sort of experiments wouldn't be allowed today, and noticed this particular disease. <laughs> Did they create the disease? I don't know. 
I have no idea. I'm not going to cast aspersions on that one yet. There are plenty of other aspersions to cast without that. At the moment, it would appear that uh, monkeypox is pretty common in various parts of Africa. And, uh, uh, and yet, they're now talking about a, a pandemic. Surprise, surprise. You've never heard that word before, have you? Um, we haven't had any pandemics in, oh, uh, hundreds of um, minutes. Um, so they're talking about a pandemic of monkeypox. Now, monkeypox is a real disease, and it's clearly not a pleasant disease. It's a very unpleasant disease. Uh, I have the little bit of research that I've done on it, which I have to say is not a lot. I've only been researching it in the last couple of days, but the little bit of research that I have done suggests that it's um, similar to smallpox, as you might um, expect. It's part of the same... Um, family of uh, of um, viruses uh, so it's related to smallpox it's also related to cowpox remember cowpox cowpox is the mild disease which still is pretty much like a nasty case of flu okay don't get me wrong you will be ill with cowpox so it's related to cowpox cowpox was the disease uh, seems to be carried by cattle and if you remember the um uh, when the smallpox vaccination was discovered, it was uh, it was basically by um, oh now I've got to get this right. <laughs> I can't remember. Was it Lister? Um, I got. I want to get the name right. Let me just pause the video and just look up the name. Okay, please excuse my brain fog there. Um, it wasn't Lister. Uh, um, Lister's work in antisepsis and so on was important in the whole area of. Uh, um, the, the first development of a vaccine, as was, for that matter, Pasteur's work. But it was actually Edward Jenner. That was the name I was looking for, Edward Jenner. He was the man who, uh, who noticed that many of the milkmaids, um, milking cows, were immune to smallpox. As smallpox was going through communities, uh, people who were working with the cows were immune to it. Uh, I think Jenner... And, um, having a sort of artistic bent um, it, he, liked, he, he liked to have the picture of the milkmaid because he would portray a beautiful young teenage girl that's the idea and it's um, uh, and that's, that's what he was doing but uh, I mean it would apply to anyone who was working with cattle they had caught the cowpox virus and they had built up antibodies to it the cowpox virus they were able to get over in a couple of days but the antibodies that they had were resistant to smallpox now he wasn't aware of that uh, side of things but nevertheless he was right to see that there was a difference uh, Jenner's experiment then was um, that he took some children and first of all, deliberately infected them with cowpox from someone who had a live uh, case of cowpox. So he would get uh, some of the material from them and make sure that these children were deliberately infected with it. They observed them, made sure they had the disease for a couple of days and they'd recovered. And then there were, I think it's four of them, that he deliberately inoculated, uh, he deliberately um caused them to come into contact with smallpox. Basically, he got a smallpox sufferer, he got some of the... It's a bit unpleasant, this. If you're eating a meal, just switch off for a moment. But he, he deliberately sort of burst some of the little uh, pustules that they had. He took some of the pus, smeared it onto the uh, arms of these children into... Um, 
I can't remember whether he scraped the skin to make sure that it went in, but anyway, he made sure that they were, uh, that they caught this uh, disease, or at least that they were infected with uh, smallpox. Now, imagine the risk. What would have happened? What would we have said about Edward Jenner? What would history have said about Edward Jenner if he was wrong? Just supposing that he uh, that he had got this wrong and that uh, the, the cowpox was not a um, so similar to smallpox that they would have developed immunity to smallpox. Those children would have died, and he would have been the murderer. Now, as it happens, he was right, and therefore history smiles on him. But you need to remember this when you're thinking about the ethics of the sort of medical research. You might say, "Well, nobody's doing that sort of thing today." Don't you believe it? There are people who are doing it, and they're getting away with it, and maybe some of their mistakes are being hushed up. But anyway, history has exonerated Jenner because uh, uh, he's, he's lionized rather than being vilified, uh, because the children did not get smallpox. And of course, subsequently, we've learned about viruses and antibodies. We now know the mechanism that the antibody produced to cowpox, being so closely related to smallpox, is... Uh, um, effective against uh, against smallpox um, so that you're not likely to catch it this he had developed basically the first vaccination that could be used against a communicable infectious infectious disease now um, the virus that is used in the modern smallpox virus which is not actually now used of course because uh, the claim is that smallpox has been eradicated throughout the world but the the, the virus uh, the um beg your pardon the vaccination still exists and um that vaccination contains a live virus which is similar to cowpox but it is a mutation of it uh, so they tend to call it the vaccinia virus, being that this was the uh, the first major live vaccination process used. Okay, now I'm not going to run down the bunny trail of looking at the whole ethics of vaccinations. It, that is an important subject. I may well uh, try and come back to that another time. It's not that it's not an important thing to uh, to go down. What I just want to do at the moment, though, is just go back to monkeypox. Monkeypox is a similar disease. It has been known for a long time, since the 1950s, and therefore, um, uh, you know, the, there are vaccinations available for it because the vaccinations are similar, not identical to, but very, very similar to the um, modern smallpox vaccination. Okay, we're dealing with the same family of um, of illnesses. Now, the current outbreak is supposed to have come from um, this will ring true. This will ring a bell, won't it? It's supposed to have come from um, uh, sexually active um, homosexual young people in uh, nightclubs in Europe, uh, because that's the method of blood transfer. And, of course, it's not the only way that you could get this illness by any means. Uh, it would pass on in the same way that smallpox would, but uh, it's, that's a direct method of, uh, of, of, of uh, it catching. So that is presumably where they're saying that it came from. Now, how far are we going to believe the mainstream media? That's the real point that I want to get into. How far are we going to believe the mainstream media? 
Well, it should strike you as relevant that they are starting off with an accusation against uh, the gay community. Now, please don't get me wrong, I've spoken about this before, uh, about, about the issue of the gay community. Uh, and uh, uh, you know that I'm going to take a biblical Christian view of that, um, that it itself is, is a sin. And uh, you can read the stuff that I put in my commentary about Genesis on the um, chapters on Sodom and Gomorrah, and particularly the chapters on uh, Genesis chapter 9, chapters 19 and 20. Um, have a read through that, so you'll know my position on that. But just because I take that position, I'm not one of those who said that, therefore, um, you know, I'm not going to lay out accusations that can't be substantiated. I know that there were many people when the HIV stuff came out, and this is where I'm going with this, who were saying, well, this is the uh, obviously the fault of the gay community, and uh, it's a punishment from God directly for that. Now, Things like pandemics can be a punishment from God, don't get me wrong. Uh, things like that could be a punishment on a particular community, but I'm not going to leap from one to the other, especially since I think it's pretty uh, clear to us now, now, those of us who are awake enough to look through uh, the alternative media and uh, not rely on the mainstream media, it's pretty clear that uh, the, the stuff we were being told in the 80s about HIV and AIDS was not true. And there's plenty of research on that. You can follow that up on some of the podcasts that I've uh, recommended in the past. But it is clearly not true. And in fact, the main thing that has been uh, killing gay people uh, to uh, to do with that is not actually um, uh, HIV. It's the particular cocktail of, uh, of, of drugs that they've been giving that is causing the deaths. And... You know, now you may want to follow that up. Uh, there are plenty of other places to follow that up uh, with. Um, I'm not going to run down that bunny trail just at this moment. Again, it is probably a topic that I need to come back to. But I want to stick to monkeypox. Where has the current pandemic come from? The current uh, talk, um, I, I noticed it's worth having a look at some of the talk pages on Wikipedia, not just the articles on Wikipedia. You can't trust necessarily all the uh, um what they consider to be facts on the actual article page. Though it's sometimes a good jumping off point. They do have some useful uh, uh, links. Uh, so I'm not um, dismissing it as a, as a research tool. Just saying it's uh, there's a great deal of, uh, of lies and propaganda on Wikipedia. Here's an interesting bit about the talk page, though. The Wikipedia has been around for a fair while. And there are people around who are writing pages on Wikipedia. The monkeypox page was written in 2018. Now that makes me suspicious because it is before the current COVID so-called pandemic, but not much. I wondered whether the um, you know the the date of the uh, of the page might have gone back to the early part of the century, whether it might have been an early page, you know. But perhaps even a 2012 date would not have been so suspicious. But 2018 is a pretty suspicious date, considering you know that the World Health Organization was starting to plan for pandemics at that time and uh, supposedly getting us prepared for them. So it's a suspicious date, and there were not many changes to the page 
in the subsequent years, but suddenly a rash of changes from February of this year. Now, it's notable that in um, March 2021, the WHO were modelling the possibility that there could be an outbreak of monkeypox, not just any old uh, pox type uh, virus, but monkeypox in particular, and they were predicting that for May 2022. Again, this is not conspiracy theories. A conspiracy theory would be held, kept secret, and these things are out in the open. They were planning for that, and lo and behold, by massive coincidence, they're saying that there is this outbreak of monkeypox in 2022. Now, there have always been nasty diseases, and I'm not saying that there isn't um, a, an, a major outbreak of monkeypox. I'm not saying that there isn't. I am saying that if there is, it's been planned for. I am saying that if there is, it probably is not as serious as they maintain. And right at the beginning of the COVID out, outbreak, in the first couple of weeks, in fact, before we heard about, before we knew there were cases in America, where the first case in America was big news, okay? We'd just heard about what was going on in Wuhan in China and the lockdowns happening there. Um, and, you know, I thought for a little while, for at least a few weeks, that maybe it was a nasty disease. Even then, in conversations with friends of mine in the church that I was in at that time, I said, you know, they need to let this spread. It's clearly a nasty form of flu, but they need to let it spread. We need herd immunity. I'm not sure whether I used that phrase at first, not having heard it, but, you know, you need it to spread through the population so that people get resistance to it. That's the way that flus have been dealt with, and that's the way that that could have been dealt with. And um, there are natural precautions that you could take against monkeypox if the outbreak is genuine. But I think we need to be very, very, very sceptical. You know what sort of cures that the CDC here in the United States have already started proposing for an outbreak of monkeypox. You know what the cures are, don't you? Or at least the measures that they consider appropriate. Yeah, you guessed it. It's masks and lockdowns. And maybe we should talk about, you know, let's, let's call them what they are, that the masks are actually face diapers they're harmful to children, not just harmful for children to wear them, but also harmful for children to see adults wearing them so that they cannot pick up the facial signals necessary in order to understand what's going on. That is harmful to children. It's harmful to babies learning language, but I would argue it's equally, you know, well, not equally, but it's certainly harmful to teenagers. Um who really, at that emotionally delicate stage of their life, really need to be able to pick up all the emotions um, that are being projected by the adults that are speaking to them. Okay? Sorry if that was muffled, but I was making a point. So masks are a problem. We should call them what they are. Lockdowns, we should definitely call them what they are. They're not lockdowns. They are house arrests. And as with um, previous diseases, outbreaks, we have never, up until the idea of COVID, we have never quarantined the healthy. But that, of course, is the sort of thing that's being proposed in order to stop monkeypox spreading. You've heard it before. 
So, my suspicion, my very strong suspicion, and I'm pretty much certain, probably about 99% certain that I will be proved right based on what's happened in the last couple of years, is this. COVID managed to hold the news for a particularly long period of time. As it faded away, what happened? We had the Ukraine war. It's not the only war that was going on. There are plenty of other wars that could have been, that could have made the news. Iraq's invasion of Kuwait, for example, all those years ago made the news. We didn't see it as something far away, whereas today the war going on in Yemen and a similar part of the world is ignored. It's more important that we think about the Russia and Ukraine war. That's not to excuse uh, Vladimir Putin, by the way, of anything. And, you know, I, I've talked about that um, many times. But I'll, I'll, I'll say this. The war um, came into the mainstream media as the COVID stories were fading, as everything was opening up. So COVID's gone. We now have to concentrate on Ukraine. Well, I think Ukraine is now beginning to bore people a little bit sooner than COVID was because they haven't been able to maintain the same level of fear. They've tried to. It's notable that the American government, um, the federal government, were trying at one stage to blame all the gas ri uh, price rises uh, that have a, a reflection in the food industry too, since food gets transported by vehicles using a lot of gas. Uh, those gas price rises were the fault of uh, the war in Ukraine, therefore it was all Vladimir Putin's fault, forgetting the fact that that price rise had actually started before we even knew that Russia was uh, even about to invade Ukraine, let alone do it. So, people are getting bored with Ukraine now. That's going to fade from the news. You know, the idea of Zelensky making speeches to different parliaments around the world from video screen, that's a novelty that's gone now. So it's not surprising that a new pandemic, sorry, pandemic is being uh, discussed, that uh, we've now got another disease that's going to take centre stage. And again, just like with COVID, we can trace it back and see that there was a, uh, an exercise involving this, predicting roughly when this outbreak would happen. We are being played at the moment by the mainstream media. And that's why we need to look to those sources of news media that are reliable. Many of those uh, sources that I tell you have a strong Christian basis and are led by people who are actually personal Christians or at the very least well within the Christian framework. Uh, in some cases, people who have uh, had seem to have had a major spiritual revival in their life, uh, like James Dellingpole in the uh, UK. I'm not absolutely sure that he's a born-again Christian, but there's no doubt that there's been a major change in his life. Um, you could say the same about the people on UK Column here in the United States. Some of the most important uh, news agencies that you can get to are those that are directly run by Christians, uh, particularly the, uh, the cross-politic program on the Fight, Laugh, Feast network and other shows on the Fight, Laugh, Feast network. Um, but they're not alone, and there are others too. So you need to get your news from, uh, from sources that you can trust, and it's not surprising that many of those sources are at least in some way connected with the Christian gospel, however loosely there is that Christian gospel element behind what they're saying. So there's your sort of cheery upfront stuff. We've got to address that, and I've no doubt with other news items about monkeypox we're going to learn a lot more about it. 
But more importantly, we're going to learn a lot more about what the what lies the media are telling about it. And you watch out for those. Okay, so that's the subject of monkeypox. Let's um, let's move on from that, and uh, let's have a little bit of a light relief now. Um, about a week ago, as I'm recording this, I. Um, was able to get out and about and I was hoping actually to go and uh, take a walk up to the Roman Nose Lakes but uh, believe it or not there was far too much snow as I drove up the mountain road. Once I'd got to 4,000 feet there was snow across the road I couldn't go on. Well I mentioned that in the film that I'm going to attach at this point. Now some of the film that I'm going to attach is just video you know and you're seeing pictures and listening to the audio may not make sense so you may decide you want to skip to the last couple of minutes of this uh, if, uh, if you're listening to the audio. Um, I'm including it anyway just for completeness. Some of it might be of interest to you, the sound of the waterfall and so on. But if you're watching on video, I'm sure you're going to enjoy this uh, film that I made of my uh, my walk to see the Snow Creek Falls. I didn't tell you where it was. I eventually ended up. Since I couldn't get to the Roman Nose Lakes, I went to the Snow Creek Falls and they were absolutely magnificent. Here's my film on that now. Well, you can see road up the mountains behind me but you can also see the trailhead for the Snow Creek Trail uh, which will lead to the two waterfalls, the Snow Creek waterfalls, uh, the upper and the lower falls. Along the way I expect to see some uh, wonderful wild flowers too and we'll stop and uh, have a look at those because it's the perfect season for it. Uh, I had hoped today to get up to the Roman Nose Lakes but that's not possible. I, I drove up the road behind me uh, up to 4,000 feet and found my way blocked by ice and snow so uh, I'll have to go again uh, later in the summer but I'm looking forward to this uh, walk down that trailhead. I've done it before but uh, the water going over the falls was not very spectacular because it was uh, August and I'm hoping that uh, at May it's going to be a lot more powerful. I can hear the waterfalls in the distance so I'm expecting a great show. Won't you come and join me? started on the trail, it's parked near the trailhead for the Snow Falls Trail. Looking forward to this. I have done this before. Um, slight disappointment because today was supposed to be Roman Nose Lakes but that's going to have to wait till next month. I was uh, surprised at how much snow there was and uh, some of the snow at 4,000 feet up the road was just impassable. So uh, and of course you know, the highest mountain in Britain is 4,000 feet, and now I was driving on a road 4,000 feet up, so um, 
different world, a different place. And uh, it's important to recognise what you can do and not to uh, do things that are foolish. So that's why I'm doing this alternative, much shorter walk to the uh, Snow Creek Falls. But it is a, a pleasant place. Uh, been there before and I'm going to take some uh, good photographs and uh, a little bit of film uh, so that you can see how I get on. Well I have to show you some of the wild flowers here on this little slope just by uh, the pathway. Uh, there's three lovely plants here. Uh, the white flowers, look at those small white flowers they're less than half an inch across they're characteristic of uh, wild strawberries um, looking forward then to coming back to find those uh, I have to confess I had to check that um, because I was looking for the telltale uh, trailer red shoots uh, joining these plants up and I couldn't find them I saw one or two that I thought were were the ones uh, actually there is one right here on this uh, plant here that doesn't have a flower on it there's uh, little red shoots coming off it uh, some leaves starting on the other end so they are there but uh, there's not many so looking forward to coming back to see those at the end of June maybe into July uh, there's a lot here there's a lot of wild strawberries here if I can get here before the deer or the bears <laughs> then uh, that will be fun uh, tiny 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 little blue plants um, just uh, I made a note of what that one is uh, let me just find it for a moment these tiny blue flowers are less than um, a quarter of an inch across let me just put my pipe in the picture and you can see with the, the end of the pipe there how tiny that little plant is. It's classed as a herb. I have no evidence uh, whether those blue-eyed Marys are edible, so I'm not going to try an experiment now. It is classed as a herb. Uh, lovely one. Uh, here's one that I haven't come across before, uh, but I've looked it up so that I know that I'm, what I'm talking about is, is definitely right. Uh, this has a number of names. Uh, it's called the... Uh, some people call it the Oregon grape or the creeping Oregon grape or it can be called the creeping barberry um, it's uh, the Latin name contains the word berberis and I am familiar with this from the health food store because uh, an extract from uh, the roots is used in the treatment of uh, diabetes uh, it's very good in the treatment of uh, diabetes. It's not quite as good as the Indian barberry, and so most of the tablets I've seen um, mix uh, berberine from India with uh, this Oregon grape to bring down the price about half and half, but it's, uh, it is very good, and I've no doubt that if you had enough of this around, you could use this by itself. Uh, to uh, I, I, I've looked I've looked at before that its uh, potency is about half that of the Indian um, berberine. So presumably, if you have twice as much, uh, you'd be able to successfully use that uh, to, for the treatment of uh, diabetes. But there's a lot of those here as well. Uh, just to give you a wide view, it may be difficult to make them out, but we've got all three of those uh, wonderful plants here: the wild strawberries, the uh, creeping Oregon grape and the um uh the uh blue maidens uh 
Uh, as I said, I don't know if the Blue Maiden, although it's classed as a herb, is edible. Those other two plants certainly are edible, uh, and uh, this is a great spot. So I'm uh, fascinated that I found this uh, very, very shortly after starting this trail. Now this one is the Hillside Star, again classed as a herb, again I have no idea, I shall have to look up later to see if, there's, uh, if this is edible. Again, very small, less than half an inch across, but a beautiful little flower, very very easy to miss. Um, I'm just fascinated by how many wonderful little woodland flowers we've got out today in just a very short space of time. So this beautiful big flower is the uh, arrowleaf balsam root. Uh, sometimes known as the Oregon Daisy. Uh, look at the size of that flower, obviously. Uh, sorry, it's sometimes known not as the Oregon Daisy, it's related to the daisy, it's sometimes known as the Oregon Sunflower. But look how big that is there. Uh, it's attracting quite a lot of pollinating plants, including a few local bees that I've scared away by uh, climbing up to it. But that's a beautiful, beautiful uh, flower. Very complex flower because it's actually, uh, like all the members of the daisy family, it's multiple flowers, tiny flowers in the centre, and then these beautiful one-leafed flowers all the way around, making a compound, very complex flower indeed. Now, one of the things that's fascinating about the... Uh, plants that I just showed you. Well, I was particularly thinking about the uh, Oregon grape, the, uh, uh, the, the one that's got the, uh, the berberine in the roots. And it's fascinating, isn't it, that God in his wisdom has uh, given us that plant. Uh, we we uh, rely too much on the manufactured medicines that have so many side effects. Uh, for example, metformin has got a lot of side effects, so that they, it's very rare that a doctor will prescribe metformin by itself. Uh, they'll usually prescribe it with uh, a, um, a, 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 I can't remember the name of it now, another medicine to protect the kidneys and a statin to protect the, the uh, heart. And all the side effects you've got with that, and you don't need any of those if you use something like uh, that uh, Oregon grape instead. So, uh, you know, God in his wisdom has put these plants there for our use and we should be using them. Now I don't know whether you can see through the trees there, the lower Snow Creek Falls. I'm actually going to go and visit the upper Snow Creek Falls first, but I can see the lower ones there and I can also see the pathway down at the bottom of the, uh, the hill. One of the interesting things there is that that pathway is going across a tiny little creek where there's an unofficial waterfall there. I don't know whether it's got a name or not. But uh, there it is, beautiful, tiny little unofficial waterfall. Uh, but I'm still fascinated by this sound coming from the uh, lower waterfall there. Looking forward to getting some better pictures of that uh, closer. Now this is the Pacific Trillium and it was discovered by the Lewis and Clark expedition I think in 1805 as they were making their way through uh, these mountains and uh, it blooms white. It's a, it's a member of the lily family, it's a small member of the lily family. Uh, this one I'm focused on here, the part of the leaf is, uh, has been uh, broken off or eaten 
of one of the three leaves. It's white when it starts blooming, but when it's been blooming a little while, the flowers turn a beautiful pink colour. And I've got both these here with their characteristic egg-shaped flowers. Well, last time I came here, it was in the summer. There wasn't as much water, uh, but we're still in snow melt, as I obviously discovered earlier. And uh, there's the Snow Creek, and you can perhaps see some of the upper falls there cascading right down. There's a lot of spray coming from that. And I'm going to go down uh, these steps here. I don't know whether I'll be able to get a good uh, grip and a good picture. Hopefully I will. And uh, the water doesn't really have much time to rest before it cascades down the lower falls there and I will be able to go walk down to the bottom of the lower falls later uh, to get uh, a lovely picture of that. So uh, let's uh, go down that trail. Well, isn't that magnificent? That was just a trickle when I last saw it last summer and uh, there it is in all its glory with all the snow melts uh, coming down. Now this is not one of your famous giant waterfalls but this is pretty spectacular and that would be a major tourist attraction if it was in Britain where you don't get big waterfalls but I find that wonderful. Now the spray that I'm getting is just incredible. Uh, that's just a wonderful sight. Oh, it's just amazing. And the water comes down into the creek here and it's boiling all the time. And last summer I sat on this bench. I'm not sitting there now. It's soaking wet. And no wonder I'm getting soaking wet too as the spray is all over me. And there the water is plunging down the lower falls. Well, let's just take one more look at the upper falls there. Absolutely wonderful. I love that sight. Now I did anticipate uh, getting wet, more because I thought it might rain today. Uh, so I'm glad I've got a dry shirt back in the truck, uh, as well as waterproofs in the backpack if I need it. But uh, it's pretty warm today, that bit of spray. I was exaggerating when I said it's soaked, really it hasn't, but it's, it's damp, okay? Uh, it'll dry off in the sunshine. I'm about to walk into the sunshine now, and it'll soon dry off. But now it's time to walk down to the, the other trail, down to the lower falls and have a look at those. Looking forward to that too. I've just stopped short of the viewpoint for the lower falls because in the trees there you might be able to make out the upper falls. I'm just going to try zooming in on them. Uh, not quite got the right spot. There it is. There's the upper falls there. Better zoom out again to take the lower falls in. And there's the lower falls through the trees and the viewpoint. Let's go down and take a closer look. Well, once again, the spray here is incredible and everything around here is damp, even though it's a dry 
sunny day. Uh, again, this was just a trickle when I last saw it. Uh, there is a lower viewpoint, but I'm going to point the camera straight at the waterfall from down there, uh, rather than help myself in the shot. What a magnificent view that is, just amazing, and as the water goes down it boils, and it's still cascading down, it's not a waterfall as such, but it's still got a long way to drop, uh, just an amazing sight. Okay, well I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Proverbs 1810 podcast. It's been episode 57. Thank you for watching. Please support me if you want to see more of these podcasts. I would value your support at Subscribestar, at Locals, or at Substack. The addresses for those are on the sh in the show notes and on the website page. Please have a look at proverbs1810.org so that you can find out how you can uh, give to me uh, to help support my writing of books and the making of these podcasts. Uh, you can find them on those three particular platforms. You need to remember the style of my name as Paul F. Taylor. Put my middle initial in there to distinguish me from other Paul Taylors who are on there. And uh, basically you can remember subscribestar.com forward slash Paul F. Taylor or paulftaylor.locals.com or paulftaylor.substack.com. Thank you for considering supporting me. I'll catch you again next time on the Proverbs 1810 podcast. Good night and God bless you.